Let's jump right in. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Forbearance is kind of a fancy word we don't use very often, but it's synonymous with patience, endurance, and fortitude. And it's part of the fruit of the Spirit that we receive when we come to know Jesus at the very moment of salvation, our spiritual DNA changes, and the Holy Spirit works in us to grow into that new DNA. Hebrews 12.1 puts it this way, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. We all want more endurance, more forbearance, don't we? We don't want to be wishy-washy. And here in Hebrews, when it says, let us run with endurance, that phrase, let us, appears 13 times in the book of Hebrews. And it lends itself to the idea that our will is involved in enduring. Let us run the race. That is, we are victorious. We don't walk around thinking that somehow we can't change the, uh, the current state of our relationship with Jesus. We can't do it on our own, but by his grace, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit and this new spiritual DNA he's given us, we can be ones who endure. I know what we all want more forbearance, more endurance. We want more this year as we celebrate uh, at the beginning of 2019 the fruit of the Spirit that we have in Christ. We don't want to cave in to sin amidst the circumstances the world throws at us. I mean, none of us really want to be fickle, do we? That's the opposite of forbearance. The opposite of the fickle person is the individual who's stable when others falter. She's constant in her effort at work while many others are hit or miss and lazy. She's reliable among her friends while others can't be counted on to show up when it counts. She demonstrates consistent character when others are chameleons based on who they're around. The fickle person goes to closet sins when life pushes and pulls us in all different directions. The fickle person shows up when the saints are gathered on Sunday night and at home group when it's convenient, but it ends there. They may even know their Bible, but they're resistant to the challenges of other believers to become more like Christ. They, they try to keep up spiritual appearances, but their heart is far from him. The bad news is, guess what? We're all fickle. All of us. All of us, we're all fickle. Even the most steadfast among us is a miserable failure. We've all sinned and we fall short, but Romans 3 says that Jesus forgave us of our sins because of his great forbearance. He had a plan. It was a difficult plan to carry out, to come and rescue us from our sins and die the death that we deserved on the cross. And he's been faithful. We can grab a hold of his forbearance because we're his sons and daughters and his spiritual DNA is in our souls. And we can claim that. We don't have to be fickle. We don't have to be here one day with Jesus and then someplace else tomorrow. You know, there are five tactics that God prescribes in his word that I want to look at tonight that I believe are, the, or that are the antidote to fickleness, the way in which we walk out this new character of forbearance that we have in Christ. The first is accept and embrace adversity. 
We naturally, we don't want to struggle, do we? But we have to embrace it because we know that God's word says that's how we'll grow in our forbearance or our endurance. We read in the book of Hebrews a strong encouragement to persevere. I believe that's the main reason why the book of Hebrews is in the Bible. We need this because we've all been tempted to give up too soon, haven't we? Raise your hand if you've ever been tempted to just throw in the towel on your faith. I have many times. Many times. And if we're tempted to give up because of doubt, struggle, or whatever, we can read the book of Hebrews. It's a great resource. This book gives us reasons why we should avoid throwing in the towel. How many of you ever said, uh, watched the Rocky series? Yeah. It's good. If they come out with Rocky 500, I'm there. They've got my money. And I love it when, was it, and some of you Rocky fans will know this, what Rocky was, I couldn't remember. I was, I was thinking of the quote, and I figured I would just ask you instead of trying to find it. But when he says, uh, he says, hey, yo, I ain't going down no more. What is it? What, what episode is that, or movie? Well, it sounds like it would be all of them. I thought it was the one where he was fighting the Russian. He says, I ain't going down no more. But I think it's the young guy that he mentors. And then, or no, maybe that's when he says, I didn't hear no bell. I don't remember. But anywho, Rocky Balboa, the fictional character, did say that. And I think there is a sense that we respect the person who just by sheer grit and will and determination is, is someone who perseveres. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the person in Christ who can endure incredible trial, like those in Hebrews who are being ripped away, or who are written to in the book of Hebrews, who are being ripped away from their church and their family and their community, that they can endure and have joy. The believer can have joy in the midst of genocide. The believer can have joy when even their own sin and the consequences of their own sin come crashing down on them, like David, King David, when he committed adultery. And then had the woman's husband that he committed adultery with murdered, but yet was still close to the heart of God. He endured even his own sin. And then we can endure the sinful consequences that come our way from other people because of this supernatural forbearance we have in Christ. You know, we don't know the author of Hebrews, but we have a very powerful clue about his intentions. And we know that, again, the whole theme and purpose of the book is forbearance. But in chapter 10, the audience is very clearly defined. The recipients of this letter are uh, young believers who have withstood a uh, just blazing persecution against the church, the first real big wave of persecution during this, this time period that Hebrews was written. They were young and zealous and ready to die for Jesus. But you know what happened? Time went by. They didn't have to die for Jesus. And years later, they'd grown older and they grew more comfortable and perhaps even more complacent. They were young and zealous, and that zeal had been replaced with the desire for comfort. Maybe they let their guard down a little bit. Then one day, the tides changed once again, and persecution ensued. This destabilization of the church left them breathless, and with their, their lack of zeal, there was nothing left in the tank to face this new wave of persecution. And they were tempted to go back to their old way of living without Christ. Just as many of you raised your hand and said, there's been times where you've wanted to just throw in the towel. 
So with that context in mind, we pick up in Hebrews 10, 32. We read about forbearance and action. He says, remember those early days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. So they were to look towards what? The day of the Lord. The day when Jesus would come back. The day when all wrongs would be made right so that even though their possessions were being stolen, they knew they had greater possessions in in store eternal possessions that were kept in heaven for them that would be theirs. So when we face trials and we face our anxieties and we're tempted to go to Amazon instead of his amazing grace or porn instead of his word, the encouragement written to these early Jewish believers is also written to us. Picking up in verse 35 of Hebrews 10, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, He who is coming will come and not delay. We're to fix our eyes on that day when Jesus comes. That is our hope. We'll get some joy now. We'll get a big dose of joy now. But it is somewhat limited till we see him face to face and we fix our eyes on that day when our joy will be fulfilled. If you're struggling right now, make Hebrews your bread. Do you understand that? If you're discouraged right now, make Hebrews your bread. Feed on it. So we accept and embrace adversity as part of our strategy to develop a stable and strong reliance on Jesus. We also surround ourselves with champions. We surround ourselves with champions. You know, Hebrews 12 begins with the word, therefore. And for you who have maybe you had some training in Bible study, what are we supposed to do when we see a therefore? We're supposed to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? And typically you read earlier on in the letter or whatever and you can find that. Uh, Because once you find why the therefore is, or what it's there for, then you find one of, if not the main purpose for the book and it helps you to apply it more effectively. So when we read chapter 11, which is perhaps the most popular chapter in the Bible, it's referred to as the the Great Hall of Fame, or better yet, the Great Hall of Faith. We read a common characteristic of all these heroes in redemptive history. They all endured insurmountable obstacles to follow the Lord, impossible obstacles. And these heroes are to spur us on to endure in good deeds done for God. Read the opening words in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all those heroes of the faith discussed in chapter 11, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You know, sin becomes very small, and struggle becomes very small when we allow the Holy Spirit to give us a vision for eternity. We stop screwing around, and we stop acting like our spiritual track record matters. What I mean by that is, you know, I stop hiding sin and thinking I want to look good in front of Kimball or in front of my wife or in front of you or you or you. And I'm willing to talk about my sin because I know that Jesus is so much bigger. So it's like the ocean compared to a drop of water. That my sin is really, in the end, no big deal because he will conquer it all. 
And I become more transparent. I become more excited about his salvation and his grace and his work in the world than I do my own spiritual track record. I become the prodigal son instead of the older brother who tried to act like he had it all together. There's so many other things we could say about what having eternity in mind does for us, but it doesn't come naturally. We feed on books like Hebrews, and we ask for God to give us an eternal perspective in a world that says you can have relief right now if you just pull this thing out. The adult pacifier we call a smartphone. (laughs) But he can give us eternity in mind. These heroes are witnesses in that they inspire us with the testimony of their faith. They are eyewitnesses in God's court declaring the power of the gift of faith. Now, they didn't have just faith in faith itself. They had a divine, a supernatural gift of faith given to them by God. And so do we. A faith that helps us to endure if we just grab a hold of it. It's already ours in Christ Jesus. So we must surround ourselves with this great cloud of witnesses found in Hebrews 11. We must memorize their stories found in Scripture. For instance... One great account in Hebrews 11 is the miraculous fall of Jericho to God's people. If you look up the cross-reference of that, it'll take you to the book of Joshua, specifically Joshua chapter 6. If you read that, that story will now be yours to remember when you need to endure. All these heroes were dead and gone by the time Hebrews was written, yet they were still used as a legacy of encouragement for this early church. And so they are our heroes as well. You can also read biographies. You can find these for less than $4 on Amazon, less than $5 shipped. One's like Watchman Nee. He became a Christian in 1920 in China at age 17. And so when I was about 17, shortly after I received Christ, I read a couple of his books, and there are dozens. And they're very challenging. He began writing immediately after his conversion, and he wrote about a radical commitment to Jesus that is incredibly refreshing these days. His work was so prolific and influential that he was imprisoned in 1952 and executed in 1972, and he continues to influence countless thousands with his books. The biblical story of the Apostle Paul beats any modern biography. He lived for one one purpose according to his letter to the church at Rome, In Romans chapter 1, he identifies himself as a slave of Christ Jesus. It was the reason for his existence. In his second letter to the church at Corinth, he shares a piece of his story. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, he's talking to a legalistic uh, group of religious people who thought that they could somehow measure up to God's standards. And this is what he says. Are they, speaking of these legalistic religious people, are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers." I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. 
Talk about trials. How would you like Paul to mentor you? He'd encourage us to run right into the fire, wouldn't he? That's what he did with his young protege, Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. We today in the church, I'm just going to say it, we are wimpy. For many of us, our greatest trial is missing the Super Bowl or the fact that the, that the Buckeyes didn't go to the national championship. We are a, me included, me especially, we are a soft people because we resist adversity in trial and we are to run through it. This Christian life is supposed to be impossible. Do you hear that? Man, it's so hard to share with my friends. My family's never going to receive Christ. I'm never going to be able to bring biblical justice to this situation where the under-resourced are hurting. I'm not going to be able to make a dent here. This broken relationship I'm in is never going to be reconciled. I'm never going to understand the Bible. All of it. Satan will attack us. The accuser of the brethren, Satan, will attack us breath by breath, moment by moment. He doesn't want us to think, believe, and experience that Jesus is is on our side. He's on our side, and he's the one empowering us. And yesterday's provision's not enough for tomorrow. So join with me in suffering. It's not to be avoided. See, what suffering does when we, jo- when we enter into ministry, into the lives of others, and we pursue Christ with everything we have, and we confess our sins to one another, and most importantly, to Christ, and deal with the stuff that's in our lives, and let Jesus heal us. We come to the end of ourselves. We stop pretending that it's Jesus plus my effort, and we start practicing what we sing about every Sunday night. I love Kimball and Christine's song that it's, we have a, a song to sing that we're filled with joy because of his amazing grace, that we're saved by grace and not by works. Do we believe that? Or are we still trying to prop ourselves up as somehow having a, a, a measure of righteousness on our own? So your champions of faith may be already parting with Jesus right now. They might have already gone. They might already be with him. Uh, and that's good. We can, we can read about them. We can listen to them. But we also need to walk arm in arm with other believers. And a good start is what, what, what you were doing here, joining together on Sunday night, uh, going to home group, but then beyond that, entering into deep relationships with other believers that truly know us, that truly know what's going on in our lives, that can walk with us through trial, that know, that, that know when we're struggling. They're close to us to know when we're discouraged, when our hearts uh, is struggling to uh, receive the love of Christ and live in that. You know, champions of faith have something in common. Though they might struggle and fall with the best of them, they take hold of the characteristic of the Holy Spirit that knows quitting is not an option. Quitting is not an option. We decide right now today, Jesus, I'm going to follow you to the very end. And then tomorrow we say it again. Not by our own power, but by his grace. And we respect grit, don't we? We really do. We respect this never say quit mentality. Our world knows it because it's been built in them by God. They're created in God's image. So we respect grit. I've listened to uh, a book by that title, Grit, 
uh, popular right now. It's on the New York Times bestseller list, written by Angela Duckworth. Her esteemed research shows that success is not primarily driven by genius, some natural ability, but by a combination of passion and long-term perseverance. This is how she defines gritty. To be gritty is to keep putting one foot in front of the other. To be gritty is to hold fast to an interesting and purposeful goal. To be gritty is to invest day after, day after week, year after year in challenging practice. To be gritty is to fall down seven times and rise eight. Grit, though respected, is hard to find, isn't it? So when we do find, about, find it, we write about it. We make movies about it. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, Eliezer ben Yehuda. In the prologue of a story written, by, uh, written about his life, it says this. This is the story of a man who made enemies of his best friends, went to prison for his beliefs, was always on the verge of death from tuberculosis, yet fathered 11 children, gathered the material for a 16-volume dictionary unlike any philological work ever conceived, and died while working on the word for soul. Ben Yehuda devoted his life to the restoration of the Hebrew language to the Jewish people. For 41 years, he lived for nothing else. The story of his total dedication to accomplishing his vision is the definition of the word endurance. Because of him, the Jewish people no longer speak 150 separate languages. Their national tongue is an unbroken circle. The national language of the state of Israel is Hebrew. When Ben Yehuda started to work on his dream, Hebrew was spoken only in religious context. It had not been used in daily life for 2,000 years. But he lived to see the day when virtually every Jew in his country wrote on their, consent, their census form under mother tongue the word Hebrew. He lived to see the day when Hebrew was the language of the courts, the theater of business, society, and public affairs. During the 41 years he'd struggled to bring this about, he'd often been called a fanatic. After his death, the eulogist added one word to the epitaph, turning it into this epitaph. Here lies Eleazar ben Yehuda, faithful fanatic. And that from one who doesn't know Jesus. The only reason we fall into discouragement, the only reason we don't live compelled by the love of Christ, knowing he's crazy about us, is, we, is because we don't preach the gospel to ourselves daily. That's it. We have forbearance. It's in us because the Holy Spirit it's, it's just like someone who's been given the, the DNA to become the next LeBron James. The difference between them, they've got all the raw materials, but they've got to dribble the basketball into the basketball court. We have the ability to endure with joy. Through all of life, to not feel like, well, somehow Jesus, I know he works for other people, but he doesn't work for me. We have a choice to either walk in the spirit or walk in the flesh. It's a daily choice. We have not only admirable drive, but access to supernatural forbearance. And we all respect perseverance. We value this never say quit mentality because Jesus has built this in us because he never gives up on us. Romans 3 says that it was his forbearance that led him to die for us. He never gives up on us. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, second part of verse 1, it says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. 
He started his work in us at the moment of salvation, and he promises to complete this work. He promises. And unfortunately, many have fallen into the trap of giving up, haven't they? You probably know believers who have given up. So many do on the road to faith, and in order not to, we must get rid of dead weight. Get rid of the dead weight that's in our lives. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, again, the second part, it says, Let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles. Now, we all have obstacles, don't we, to developing a deeper, more intimate, life-giving relationship with Jesus. We all do. And, you know, why do we go to broken relationships with other people? Let's say a romantic relationship that's not honoring to God. Why do we numb ourselves out with social media and endless streaming video and, and all the other stuff? Why are we constantly seeking some type of escape, some type of joy outside of Christ? The common de denominator is unbelief. It's the poison of unbelief. Oftentimes when we think of unbelief, we think of do I believe in God or not? And that's not what we're talking about. Most in this room believe in God. We believe in the power of the cross. But it's unbelief in terms of we think that Instagram will give us more satisfaction than a conversation with Jesus. We believe that Netflix, the, numb, the, the numbing effect that we'll get by, you know, binging on uh, uh, past episodes of Mr. Rogers will be more satisfying to us than spending time in God's word. I believe it's time for self-examination for all of us because the primary thing the Lord wants from us is for us to delight in him. Delight in him. Delight is what you get when it's two days. You know, you're going on the vacation of a lifetime in two days. You can't wait, man. You can smell that salty air and feel that sun on the back of your neck. You know, you're so excited. That is delight. That the Lord wants us to have that in him. Within the context of Hebrews 10 through 12, the greatest hindrance of faith was creeping unbelief, like we're talking about. These believers had forgotten the power and the promises of Jesus Christ, and they were reverting back to their old way of life to avoid the coming wave of persecution. The writer of Hebrews encourages them to follow Jesus. He says that Jesus is better than all things, that he's worth the risk. So we must examine ourselves when we grow discouraged. We need to recognize and repent of unbelief, strip it away, and get rid of the sin that so easily entangles us. There is no half measure to kill discouragement. We must preach the gospel to ourselves and turn from sin. That's it. There's no half measure. There's no way to kind of deal with it. Your faith, my faith will suck, and our relationship with Jesus will be 2% of what it could be if we don't preach the gospel to ourselves and turn from sin. Turn from sin isn't something we do every now and again. Turning from sin, repenting, is a daily, daily task for the believer. And it brings great joy because we're agreeing that we're not God and that we need his grace. Jesus loves it when we come to him in repentance because he's the one who gives us the gift of repentance in the first place. He loves it when we agree that he is our only hope and our greatest love. Unbelief can come through loss, the death of a family member, the failed relationship, the shattered dream, the sneaking apathy and indifference towards growing in Christ. 
Instead of going to Jesus, we, become, we numb out and, on whatever's at our disposal. We give in to self-pity. Instead of staying, focusing on Jesus' strength, we focus on all the reasons why we don't measure up. That can be what consumes our thinking. We can, measure, we can be focused on why Jesus doesn't work for us, and that's from the devil. It is a daily battle, and it happens right here. Do we agree with what God says about us, or do we agree with what our own mind tells us regarding our own insecurities and shortcomings? We become self-centered instead of Jesus-centered. We look at our struggles instead of God's power. So is there a habit stealing your intimacy with Jesus? A bad habit, a sinful habit. It's time to bring it out. You've got all eternity in mind. You're going to let just this, this much, you're going to let a few moments where maybe you're trying to appear like, like you've got it all together. That, that's more important to you and me than the intimacy and life that Jesus wants to give us. He's so much better. This, this, the word tells us that life is but a vapor. It's like a hot breath on a cold day. It's this, I mean, it's so short. Who cares? No need to put on the mask. The fifth and final tactic we have at our disposal because of the Holy Spirit's role in our lives is simple to say, it's impossible to do, but because of his power, we can, we can walk it out. And that's keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. In other words, we've got so much to look forward to, and we've got so much that we can look to behind us that's a faith monument, that the sin in our lives, we can throw it off. We have that power in Christ. We don't have to live in it anymore. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Toward the end of his life, Paul spoke something similarly about his goal. When he said, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We run to win. We run to win. We don't run to just kind of halfway limp through this life and be foxhole Christians who pray when it gets really bad. We live for an intimate, life-giving conversation with Jesus every single day. Even if you've been losing today, or you've been losing yesterday, today is a new day. He's on our side. Don't get caught up in past defeats. Paul didn't. Don't get caught up in last week or last month because you have a great coach who promises to carry you to the end. In his bestseller, Good to Great, Jim Collins read this years ago. I know many of you probably have too. Jim Collins shared the story of a high school cross-country coach who understood what it was to finish strong. They had competed year after year and were very competitive. But he made one simple change in his team. He did all the same stuff all the other great coaches did, or good coaches. But what made them a great, great team is one simple change. They started saying, really, that it's the end that matters. So the last half mile of a race, okay, the, the last part of practice and the end of the season, not the beginning. So what they practically did is they started timing runners 
during the last half mile of their practice runs. And the goal was for them to get better and better during that last half mile. And he did the same at races. And then, of course, the ultimate goal was to be better by the end of the season. You have a great coach, and he will empower you to finish strong even if you've started slow, and we've all started slow. When we're tempted, we can remember that Jesus is watching us in this race. Not in a punitive way like a dad who's got his hands on his hips, you know, who's, who's writing down notes or making middle notes about what he's going to tell his daughter when she gets back in the car to tell her all that she did wrong while she was running. No, we have a father who as he watches us run out our faith, he's clapping. He's shouting, I'm with you. I'm for you. I love you. I rejoice over you with singing. I've separated your sins as far as the east is from the west, and I remember him no more. I'm the author and perfecter of your faith. You are chosen and appointed to bear fruit, fruit that will last. We're going to be together forever, and I'm with you, I'm for you, and I love you with all of my heart. Now, when we have a father like that who we know is watching, who we know is for us, have you ever competed in something and your loved ones are there? Man, you just feel buoyed by their love and compassion. The best, the, the most important thing we can focus on as believers, regardless of where we're at in our faith, is meditating on the fact that Jesus is for us. He's not waiting for you to get it all figured out and then once you learn to run the proper way and you get your times where they need to be, he's finally gonna let you on his team. He loves you as much as he's ever gonna love you right now. And that's what motivates us to step out of sin. But unlike a great dad or a great coach, Jesus did so much more. He endured the cross because he anticipated the joy that would follow, and that is freeing us from our sin. That brings him great joy. And he guarantees our victory and joy. We're all fickle, but we have one who, is, who will put us on his back if we'll just let him. And he's faithful endure, to endure. Romans 13, 11, I'll close on this. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you for our salvation. Lord, and it's so easy as we approach the new year and especially as the days grow long and dark for us to somehow fall into faulty thinking. Lord, demonic meditations that somehow you're far from us. Somehow we have no control over discouragement that creeps into our life. But thank you that we can preach against it to our own soul, that your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Like a machete cutting un through the underbrush, it can cut through our lies and our unbelief if we'll just grab a hold of it. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Help us to endure. Amen.